The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. Hey everyone, this is Mindy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next up on The Big Show, we have episode 34, originally aired November 11th, 1951. 11-11 for all my spiritualists or, you know, people who follow numerology and angel messages, stuff like that. 11-11 means... Uh, Someone who looks over you is very close by. It's a special, special number. And speaking of numbers, speaking of the number one, we have four people on this show. This is their only time appearing. They're one time on the big show. And I wanted to, there are actually more than four, but the four I wanted to highlight here, and you'll understand why, is all four of them had such a huge impact, either directly or indirectly on pop culture or American culture as we know it today. And so the first is Anne Sheridan, probably the one that most people are going to know without any explanation, particularly men, uh, because she was one of the pinup girls in the 1930s. You know, she started her career like most very pretty young women do. She's relegated to supporting roles or maybe having like a big scene, but a small role to gain visibility. So that's pretty much what she's doing in the 30s until 1939. Warner Brothers, because things were just so funny back then, Warner Brothers announced, announced as if there was an official announcement, that there was a committee, very professional committee of 25 men. And apparently this committee had the important job of voting who had the most oomph in America. And they voted Anne Sheridan. So this was announced you know, she's won this prestigious honor of having <laughs> the most oomph of any other woman in America. Oomph was defined as, quote, a certain indefinable something that commands male interest, end quote. Indefinable is cute. Um, I think when you look at Anne Sheridan, you could probably figure out a few of the reasons why <laughs> she would have earned this title. So she hated it. She hated this whole concept until she started landing leading roles because people were very interested in seeing more of her and later kind of took back what she said and, you know, that she kind of appreciated what this oomph girl thing did for her career. So she's been in a huge amount of things. I think the ones most people would know are Angels with Dirty Faces, They Drive by Night, The Man Who Came to Dinner. King's Row and I Was a Male War Bride stood out of the really long list. So that's Anne Sheridan, one of the the uh, foxy pinup girls. Then there's Morton Downey. He's a popular singer in the 20s and 30s. He comes from Connecticut with the nickname the Irish Nightingale. He started his career with a signature kind of high-timbered tenor that could sometimes be mistaken for a woman if they didn't know who was singing. But by the mid-30s, he had to change his style because it had fallen a little bit out of step with what was popular. And so learned to drop his range into something a little chestier. That's kind of his music contribution. (laughs) His real impact to American culture is not so lovely. Uh, His son, Morton Downey Jr., was a pioneer of trash TV. Think of Jerry Springer and then just take the bottom out and let it free fall. That was Morton Downey Jr. Uh, Extreme theatrics, extreme controversy. Like the man lived and breathed on anything that was risque, foul, just 
controversial, <laughs> but credited for pioneering the trash TV that we have come to know today. Number three on the list, Sophie Tucker, my favorite of this entire episode. I will be finding more information and movies to watch of hers or whatever is out there with her. So also from Connecticut, she was raised by Russian immigrants. Her parents owned a restaurant and she started singing there as a child and said that between her singing and the onions, there was never a dry eye in her parents' restaurant when she was growing up. In the early 20th century, she was an enormous vaudeville star. And no pun intended, she's actually apparently a larger woman her whole life. And there are references to it in this episode. Tallulah is not being a jerk. when, Like she's not out of hand when she like references Sophie Tucker's size. That is part of the persona and act that Sophie was known for. So Tallulah... If you listen to their banter, I I hear a lot of respect from Tallulah. Like, I think she really, they probably have a lot in common at that time. But I think she really respected what she did. Sophie Tucker referred to herself first as the last of the Red Hot Mamas. That is also referenced. And it is stemming from her being very vocal about her sexual appetite. And this is post vaudeville. Most women don't talk like that. They don't (laughs) sing about it. They don't build a whole show around it, but she did. And I think that's partly where Tallulah's respect comes in, kind of a kindred spirit type. But what is so interesting about Sophie Tucker is her legacy in the next generations of female comedians. People who have referenced her as an influence were Mae West, Carol Channing, Joan Rivers, Roseanne Barr, Ethel Merman, Mama Cass Elliot, and Bette Midler. So when you hear Sophie talk, when you hear her jokes, when you hear her sing, I heard a lot of these women. Listen for it. I really think you're going to hear a Carol Channing vibe or kind of a, a Joan Rivers joke or a Bette Midler kind of style of engagement as she's singing. Like she, you really can hear the influence that, you know, carried her so far beyond her own career. And then the fourth one, Jerry Lester, median singer, radio personality. He was a rising star by 1951. He hosted Cavalcade of Stars. Viewers loved him so much they were calling in to just say that they thought he was great. So he became the host of the Broadway Open House, which was the first late night show. And what's significant about that is it made stars of Steve Allen, Jack Parr, and Johnny Carson. And what do they all have in common? <laughs> Basically, this was a precursor to The Tonight Show. And that would end up premiering three years later. Alan Parr and Carson, all three, in some form, kind of paid homage or copied Jerry Lester's style of doing these kind of topical, corny humor type things that were super funny. And he would mug to the camera. They all kind of adopted that style. And then all of our modern late night TV hosts, I know Conan for one, Conan O'Brien, he doesn't have a show anymore, but when he did, he frequently referenced Jack Parr as someone he admired. Jay Leno admired Johnny Carson. I mean, all that legacy, out of the four, Jerry Lester, you can turn on the TV at any time and still see Jerry Lester and his influence in popular culture. All four of these people 
who had such a role and a hand, <laughs> whether they meant to or not, and how we enjoy entertainment. Um, they all just happened across paths one time only on what was the biggest radio show of the time. So it just happened to be serendipitous that these four culturally impactful people came to the big show one time and they just all happened to be there together. The fact that it happened on 11-11-1951 is, in my mind, not a coincidence. <laughs> it's a it's a blessed number. From November 11th, 1951, this is The Big Show. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show, the first half hour sponsored by the Reynolds Metals Company and starring the glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> For the next hour and 30 minutes, you will be entertained by some of the biggest names in show business. Such bright stars as... Morton Downey. Jerry Lester. Jackie Mark. Ken Murray. Ann Sheridan. Sophie Tucker. June Valley. Meredith Wilson. And my name, darlings, is Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Well, darlings, it's good to be back in New York after doing our show in Hollywood. The people here are so much nicer. Out there, you find so many phonies. <laughs> of course, there are a lot of phonies here, too, but I don't know. Here, they're such real phonies. <laughs> and besides, it was so hectic out in Hollywood. Time slipped by so quickly, I can't remember where the days went. I'm also having trouble remembering a couple of the nights. <laughs> That's why I'm happy to be back. Everything's so much more comfortable and easy. I can take my time. Monday, I fight with the director. Tuesday, I fight with the producer. Wednesday, the writers. Thursday, the musicians. And that leaves my whole weekend free. <laughs> to fight with the actors. <laughs> but I decided that's no way to get along with people. I'm going to cut out fighting with everybody. I'm going to start being sweet, considerate, and always the lady. But not this week. <laughs> Get a load of that crew of actors sitting there all ready to spring at me. All except Sophie Tucker. She hasn't sprung in years. <laughs> they're all separated in little cliques of two, and I'm sure they're talking about me. Now, they're Ken Murray and Jerry Lester with their shaggy little heads together whispering about me. A bag! Jerry, I know a bag when I see one. But, Ken, this bag is full of beans. That's why I call it a bean bag. And from this, you make a living? Oh, if I could only hear what they're saying about me. You're kidding, Jer. Not 89. <laughs> yeah. 89 beans in each bag. Now, if you want to be a member of the bean bag club, just raise your right hand and I'll swear you in. My right hand? Yeah. Okay. Now, which one is my right hand? Oh, yes, the one I sign autographs with. Okay. It's up. No, Ken Murray, you may not leave the room till the show is over. <laughs> and then there's Anne Sheridan in a huddle with the backfield Sophie Tucker. I wonder what Anne just said to her. 
Look at the way she's eyeing me up and down. A hundred and eighty pounds. A hundred and eighty pounds? Go away, it's more than that. No, Tallulah told me herself. She bought the dress in England and paid a hundred and eighty pounds for it. The material alone cost $25 a yard. That's not so much. Well, how much did the material in the dress you're wearing cost, Sophie? $50 a mile. <laughs> I don't know how Sophie has kept that figure all these years. Well, I guess it's because nobody else wants it. <laughs> then those singers, Morton Down in June Valley. I can't understand why they insist on having singers on the program when they have me. And if I know Downey... That's what he's whispering to June Valley. He knows I can sing any song either one of them can sing. Flat. It's real flat. That's what I've heard. Of course, I've never been to Ireland. Oh, it's flat. The whole countryside is flat. Well, maybe I'll still be able to sing this week. After all, they're both sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Jackie Myers sitting over there all by himself with his two little heads together. <laughs> I know they're talking about me. Idiot, I'm just an idiot. Why am I afraid to ask her to go out with me? What could you do to me, bite my head off? So I still have the other one left? <laughs> well, there's one consolation. This week and every week, our darling sponsor, the Reynolds Metals Company, never talk about me. They'd much rather talk about Reynolds Aluminum. They've been talking about it for years. That's right, Miss Bankhead. Because it was just after Armistice Day in 1919 that the company now known as Reynolds Metals began. Previously, the company's founder had helped to develop waterproof packaging for the supplies of our troops in World War I, a development that led to today's bright display of products packaged in Reynolds aluminum foil on the shelves of your neighborhood store. In World War II, Reynolds foil packaging played a far greater role, keeping rations fresh and medical supplies pure in tropic heat as in Arctic cold. And today, the military uses of foil grow as rapidly as the need for aluminum in planes, tank parts, pontoon bridges, bazooka barrels. That's why there's only a limited supply of your favorite Reynolds wrap, the original and genuine, the pure aluminum foil of a thousand and one kitchen miracles. But there's more aluminum on the way from Reynolds, one of America's great producers of aluminum. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I hey, would like... Hey, this is George. Hello, George. I'm busy now. Go away, dear. No, please. I'm Jerry Lester. Uh, well. <laughs> Have you made up your mind, darling? Are you Jerry Lester or George? No, look, you don't seem to get the idea. I'm Jerry, but I'm George. Uh, darling, you've been in television too long. You're suffering from double image. <laughs> Who is George? No, no, you mean, what is George? See, I'll explain it to you. This is uh, television talk. Uh -huh. If something's good, we say it's George. If something's bad, we say it's Tom. Do you understand? Uh, not completely. Well, which part don't you understand? All of it. <laughs> okay, you get a 60. I can't pass you. No more football practice for you. <laughs> well, I'm trying to understand. Explain the game, darling. <laughs> All righty. Are you listening? Uh -huh. You have 20, 20 years? Yeah. Okay. Now, here we go. Please, no coaching now. If something's good, it's George. If something's bad, it's Tom. I'll give you an example. If A can do a piece of work in three days, 
No, that's the wrong example. I don't know the answer to that myself. Mean. <laughs> uh, let's try it this way. Say, for instance, oh, say a man runs for president of the United States two times and doesn't make it. That's Tom. I see. And if he makes it, then that's George. No, that's Harry. <laughs> do, uh, do you dig me? I'd like to. Well, I'll explain it again. But let's don't talk about a man who wants to run for president. Oh, that's Ike. Just a minute, Buster. No, that's Lester. Jerry Lester, star of television. Well, that's all. <laughs> you may remember me from the early days of television. Last year. Oh, of course. A Broadway open mouth. <laughs> hey, that's a gasser. Oh, uh, what's a gasser? A gasser? A gasser is a diddlebock. You know, a uh, bloop. The opposite of a greet. Greet. Yeah, that's television talk. Don't you understand television talk? I don't even understand television. <laughs> oh, you'd be George on television. Yes, you would. Have you ever taken a screen test? I did. I look just like a screen. <laughs> well, what's the matter? Haven't you got a television set at home? Yeah. Well, what have you got against it? A small bar. <laughs> A 16-ounce tube. Say, you know, if you had color television, you could see pink elephants. Uh, Jerry, would you mind confining yourself to radio talk? Oh, radio. Ah, radio. I love radio. That's where my heart really is. My heart's in radio, but my ulcers are in television. Oh, then you really prefer radio. I don't blame you. In television, you really can't be yourself. That's the trouble. In television, I have to be myself. In radio, I can be anything. For instance, let me describe myself to the radio audience at home. I'm six foot four inches tall. I have a shock of wavy blonde hair. My complexion is peaches and cream. Here, taste it. Mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm, good. That's what Jerry Lester is. Mm-hmm, good. You see, with a little imagination in radio, you can be anyone you want to be. No cameras. Let me show you. Ladies and gentlemen, the glamorous and unpredictable Jimmy Cagney. Listen here, you guys. Or I can be Edward G. Robinson. Listen here, you guys. <laughs> or I can be Tallulah Bankhead. Listen here, you darlings. <laughs> Listen here, Buster. See? Even you can be Edward G. Robinson. I don't want to be anyone but Tallulah Bankhead, but myself, I am always Tallulah Bankhead. Oh, don't be bitter. <laughs> but you're wrong about radio, Jerry. You can't do anything you want. Now, for months, I've been wanting to be a singer on this program. But these radio microphones are against me. Now, listen to this. When I try to sing, it comes out like this. I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places. Well, that's the way I sound on these radio microphones. But I'm so full of music inside of me that to myself, I really sound like this. You see? Mm-hmm. And they won't let me sing. <laughs> Who won't let you sing? You're going to sing with me right now. What key do you sing in? B. B it is. I didn't hear you guys. Tool's gonna sing, see? And no, darling, B. Oh. 
Okay. Tallulah's going to sing in B, see? Here we go. Because of you. Now, you stick with me, Tallulah, because uh, the orchestra's got a head start because they know the song. You know what I mean? Because of you, there's a song in my heart. Because of you, my romance had its start. Because of you, the sun will shine The moon and stars will say you're mine Forever and never to part Only live for your love and your kiss It's paradise to be near you like this Because of you my life is now worthwhile and I can smile because of you. Thank you, thank you, Jerry. We sang quite a song there, didn't you? <laughs> and now the big show is going to present a newcomer to show business. Just a few short years ago, this young lady was a Bobby Soxer, organizing fan clubs for Perry Como. In the last six months, she has joined Perry Como as one of RCA's recording stars. Her name, darlings, is June Valley. I, I'm surprised that a Victor recording star is so very young And so very pretty And you're very, very poised Thank you, Miss Bankhead That's the greatest compliment I've ever had Because it comes from the greatest lady in the theater And you're very smart <laughs> Now what a success story you have You've just signed a contract to make RCA Victor Records And only six months ago, you were a bookmaker <laughs> That's a bookkeeper Oh, sorry, darling. <laughs> That's a horse of a different color, isn't it? <laughs> How old are you, darling? Twenty-one. Just a couple of years younger than you, Miss Bankhead. Uh, now, there's a girl after my own heart. <laughs> are you studying hard, darling? You've got to attend strictly to business if you want to become a big star. Oh, I'm working hard, but I could never become a biggest star as you, Miss Bankhead. Oh, now, that is a girl after my own heart. Uh, what is your ambition, June? Well, I hope that someday I could go on radio and be a mistress of ceremonies and have a lot of guest stars and entertain people for an hour and a half. Now, there's a girl after my own job. <laughs> Before you get any ideas, darling, just remember you were brought on this show as a singer, so why don't you let us hear a song? Ladies and gentlemen, RCA's newest and brightest young star, June Valley, singing Now, Now, Now. Meredith, will you accompany the young lady, if you please? Come, let's be happy, come, let's be happy, come, let's be happy now, now, now. No time for sorrow, too late, tomorrow, come, let's be happy now, now, now. There is no time to lose, put on your dancing shoes. Sing a song of gladness, let the trumpets blow. And there's a little thing, life is a precious thing. On your mark, get ready, get set, go. Now, now. Ah! 
June Valley. Good luck, and try to stay as sweet as you are, darling. Also, try to stay 21. <laughs> but here's our sponsor about a subject that's much older. Well, Miss Bankhead, aluminum is about 65 years old, counting from its first commercial production. But really, the age of aluminum began when Reynolds brought competition into the industry in 1941. Reynolds was then the leading manufacturer of aluminum foil. But only one company in the United States had been making the metal itself. And the war clouds were gathering fast. More aluminum was urgently needed. So Reynolds built its own plants and had them operating before Pearl Harbor, adding 50% to the nation's aluminum supply. Reynolds produced almost a billion pounds of aluminum during World War II, enough for tens of thousands of heavy bombers. Since then, as Reynolds grew, competition has steadily increased production and kept the price low. Aluminum is the only basic metal that costs less today than before World War II. As the industry meets today's vast military demands and forges ahead toward ample civilian supply, remember, it was Reynolds who made the aluminum industry competitive. When talent and beauty go hand in hand, as they do with Anne Sheridan, then it's drama time on the big show. And so, for your pleasure, Miss Anne Sheridan, in the Faye Grimson Stanley story, The Last Day of All. I, Sarah, take the Albert for my lawful wedded husband to love and to cherish in sickness and in health until death do us part. Until death do us part. I meant that. I meant every word of it. Where are the servants? There's a fiesta in town, Al. I gave them the day off. Why? So you could play the devoted wife? Don't excite yourself, Al, please. You know what the doctor said. One more attack of asthma like that last one, your heart won't stand it. You can't resist being a martyr, can you, Sarah? I... I wanted to be alone with you. Well, perhaps it's just as well. Especially today. You, uh... You know what today is, don't you? Yes, Al. I know. I gave you a month. The month is up. (laughs) A whole month. After ten years of marriage, you gave me a month. That was very noble of you. It's as noble as I intend to be. 
What's the answer? The answer is no. You won't go to Reno. I won't divorce you, Al. What are you looking for, Sarah? More money, a better settlement? Oh, how dare you say that to me? That's all you've ever been after? That's not true. I've been your wife, your nurse. Nurse, yes. Yes, I guess you have been. Well, I'm tired of your supercilious concern, tired of being treated like a child. I suppose Margaret Langley will treat you better. Oh, so you know about that. <laughs> yes. You're going to marry her, aren't you, Al? As soon as I'm free of you. You're not going to be free of me. You won't divorce me? Never. Then I'll divorce you. You can't. You have no grounds. I'll manufacture them. I'll fight you, Al. You fool. I'm too big to fight in court. My lawyers will tear you to bits. I don't care. You don't care. Well, don't underestimate me, Sarah. I get my way no matter what it costs. You've had ten years to know that. I love you, Al. Doesn't that mean anything to you? I said this was our last day together, Sarah. The last day of all. You'll leave this house after dinner tonight. I knew I couldn't fight him. I walked through the house, seeing things for the last time. And for the first time, the precious things gone unnoticed with the passing years. I started to pack. The possessions of a wife who was no longer a wife. I found our marriage certificate and remembered. Until death do us part. For an hour I sat staring at the coat. The beautiful fur coat he'd never seen me wear. And I remembered what the doctor said. He's allergic to fur. Keep it away from him. The slightest exposure could bring on an asthmatic spasm that might be fatal. I remembered that, and I thought of the cigar. The one forbidden cigar that Al smoked every night after dinner. Until death do us part. I pulled a tuft of fur from the coat and I went to the servants' quarters and got a knitting needle. Then I got Al's cigar, the one I'd put beside his plate. I made a hole in it, and I stuffed the fur inside. You're looking very beautiful, Sarah. Why, oh, I, I just feel more relaxed, Al. The dinner was excellent. It's quite an occasion, you know. I know. Calls for a glass of brandy to top things off. We can drink to our happy and separate futures. You are going to divorce me, Sarah. I'm going to live up to my marriage vow, Al. That's your final decision, isn't it? My final decision. Then I'll change the toast I propose, Sarah. We'll drink to this instead. We'll drink to the one of us who will prove the strongest in the end. All right, Al. To the one of us who pr proves to be the strongest. Even as I put the glass down, I knew he was smiling at me. And the room started to spin in a slow, crazy spiral full of strange light and whirls of color. 
I tried to move, but I couldn't. I told you I'd have my way, Sarah. Al, what have you done? I've poisoned you, my dear. Uh, how long? Not long. A few painless minutes. Just long enough for me to enjoy my cigar. Oh. What, my dear? What last precious words do you... Do you... This cigar... Until death does part darling, that was wonderful. Our thanks to you and for the wonderful assist by Martin Blaine. I want to have a chat with you, Annie, but first, the Reynolds Metals Company has an Armistice Day message. Back in 1939, when the armistice between World War I and II was ending, it was Reynolds who foresaw the urgent role aluminum would play, not only in aircraft made mostly of aluminum, but in a host of other uses. Some of these have been mentioned, bazooka barrels, pontoon bridges, vital parts of tanks and trucks, and the broad field of military foil packaging in which Reynolds pioneered. But the list grows still more swiftly today, with supersonic speed in the air and high mobility on the ground. At sea, too, more and more developments feature rust-proof aluminum, including aluminum PT boats. And again, the Reynolds Metals Company has stood out as the leader in urging more aluminum production while Reynolds' own expansion proceeds full-time, full speed. Reynolds, pioneers of progress through aluminum. Annie, sweetie, I understand you've just finished a new picture in Hollywood. Yes, I did, Tallulah. Just finished it last week. Uh, what's the name of it, darling? Well, it's called... Annie, I'm surprised you haven't come to Broadway in a play... All the girls out your way are doing it, you know. There's Andrew Rogers and Southern. Well, I, I had thought about it, Tallulah. But the critics here can be pretty rough on you. Oh, well, darling, you've got to be able to take it, you know. I was in the theater here a few years ago playing Cleopatra. And darling, John Mason Brown, my favorite critic, you know the, the notice he gave me, the review he said? He said, last night, Tallulah, as Cleopatra, barged down the Nile and sank. <laughs> well, didn't you resent it, Tallulah? Uh, no, because confidentially, I sank. <laughs> well, I thought they said that about the picture you made called Lifeboat. <laughs> well, if it's going to be that kind of an evening, Annie, you better get your gun. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that, Tallulah. As a matter of fact, I saw you in Lifeboat. Boat, you didn't sink at all. <laughs> Thank you, darling. <laughs> it was the boat that was such a lousy actress. <laughs> Well, I could answer you, but uh, who can remember any of the pictures you ever made? <laughs> By the way, darling, what is the name of the picture you just finished making in Hollywood? Oh, yes, the name of that picture. Uh, excuse just... me, darling, I just thought of a picture I saw you in some time ago. Yes, I know now, I remember. It was called No Apprentice. I remember seeing it because I, was, I went to a late show. 
I was restless, you know, so I got up out of bed and went to a midnight movie, and it was, yes, it was Nora Prentice. Did you enjoy it? Oh, it was wonderful, darling. I slept like a baby. <laughs> now, take it easy, Annie. When you start with me, you're turning with the sale. No, oh, I don't know. Sheridan took care of that before. <laughs> I can do it again. Uh, let me see, Annie. You're from Texas, aren't you? That's right. The Lone Star State. Mm-hmm. Well, Linda Darnell is the only star to come out of that state. <laughs> Wait until I tell Ginger Rogers and Joan Crawford you said that. They're from Texas, too, you know. And when they hear you said that, there'll be more stars falling on Alabama. Oh, Anton. <laughs> I was only joking, sweetie. As a matter of fact, I was trying to give you a new picture that you just finished, a plug. I've asked you the name of it several times. What's it called? Oh, I've been trying to tell you several times. Oh, well, good luck, honey, on your next picture. I've been trying to tell you several times. Oh, boy, she's George. Oh, Annie, I want you to meet one of our other guests. This is George Lester. Not George. Oh, Tom. Jerry. Uh, Tom and Jerry. Oh, I'll have one of those. Uh, this is Ann Sheridan. I'll have one of those, too. <laughs> Hi, Jerry. Hi. Say, I love that play you just did. Wow. That was murder. Hey, Tallulah, this is radio. This is my chance. I'd like to do that kind of a play here. You know, kill somebody. I've never killed anybody on television. That's what I hear, darling. <laughs> oh, that is a gaffer. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? You know, say that, uh, how about it, Tallulah? Can I do that play on this show? Uh, of course, Jerry. Would you like to do it with Ann Sheridan? Oh, no. If I was married to her, I wouldn't try to kill her. I'll do it with you, Tallulah. <laughs> You know, you're more the type. You know, uh, interested in making me a widower? Well, as long as it works both ways, it might be worth it. <laughs> I'll do it with you, Jerry. Uh, but give me a moment here first to ring my chimes, huh? Of course. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. It's the big show, act two. And here is Tallulah Bankhead. All right, Jerry, you want to be a dramatic actor? Now, here's your chance to do your version of the dramatic sketch Anne Sheridan just did. Oh, George. And not George. Oh. Meredith. Oh, Some George. mood music, if you please, my darling. <laughs> do you promise to take this bean bag to be your lawful wedded husband? <laughs> I did. And for ten long years, my life has been... <laughs> Bless you... <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. After ten years, he owes me 82,302 bless yous and unfinished sneezes. And now, after ten years, he wants to divorce me. Fat chance. I've been married to Fat Chance for ten years. When I married her, I was a typical, average, normal American citizen With hiccups That's all, just hiccups Nothing that nine sips of water 200 times a day wouldn't cure And then, on our first anniversary, she bought herself a present A mink coat When she showed me the bill, I lost my hiccups Instead, I developed an allergy Bless you For ten long years, I tried to make the best of our marriage. To me, it was sacred. It was nothing to be sneezed at. Bless you. Finally, I realized we were drifting further apart. 
I thought maybe we could patch things up, start over again. One morning as I was coming down to breakfast, I decided to have a talk with her. Maybe she could advise me what to do. She was at breakfast. I tried to be cheerful. Good morning, Tallulah. Drop dead. <laughs> I decided not to take her advice. <laughs> it was then I realized she was out to get me. So I decided to get her first. Then peculiar little things began to happen around the house. At first, we both took them rather lightly. One night, I came home from the office. Well, have a nice day at the office. Anything unusual happen? No, nothing at all, dear. Oh, yes, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, this morning, a funny thing happened. I put my foot on the starter of the car, and the whole car blew up. Uh, really? Did you get hurt? No, but I got to the office 15 minutes early. <laughs> uh, tell me, anything happened around the house? No, no, not that. I... Oh, yes, yes. I, I, I want to thank you for my lovely birthday gift. What a beautiful carving set. <laughs> you liked it? Oh, I loved it. Oh, but the funniest thing happened, darling. Yes? When I opened the box, one of the carving knives sprang out at me. <laughs> oh, great heavens. Did it hurt you? Oh, no, darling. It's nothing, really. Just this hole in my chest. <laughs> well, I'm delighted that you like my gift. Oh, I adore it. I'd rather have that than even a mink coat. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. Huh? 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 Bless you. Eighty-two thousand three hundred and three. I couldn't stand it anymore. I decided it was time for drastic action. The next morning, I went to my furriers. Good morning. May I help you? Yes, I'd like to see a mink coat. Mink? Of course. Now, uh, what size? Something that will fit a long cigar. I couldn't stand it anymore. I decided it was time for drastic action. The next morning, I went shopping. May I help you, sir? Uh, yes, I'm, uh, I'm looking for something for my wife. Of course. Now, here's some nice perfume. Interesting name. Come hither. <laughs> Have you got anything like, uh, go away? I, uh, I think so. How's this? Uh, let me see. Uh, potassium of cyanide. <laughs> oh, that sounds jarred. Just uh, put two drops in some champagne. Champagne. That would be trouble because Tallulah doesn't drink. <laughs> that, that night at dinner... <laughs> that night at dinner, I picked up my cigar. <laughs> I didn't know the cigar was loaded. It was loaded with mink. <laughs> Bless you. Well, Tallulah, how about one drink? Oh, you know I don't drink, darling. <laughs> oh, come on. Force yourself. Oh, well. <laughs> well, I will if you'll smoke your cigar. <laughs> That's a deal. Here you are. All right, darling, I like your cigar. <laughs> your cigar. There you are. Well, drink it down. Here goes. Hey. This cigar tastes peculiar. What did you put in the champagne? <laughs> Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you.
Thank you, Jerry Lester. That was fun, darling. Someday you and I must do a play on the road. And why don't you start hitting it now? <laughs> and now, my darlings, it's a real pleasure to present... Oh, just a minute. What's going on back there? It's just me, Tallulah. I set the alarm clock so I wouldn't sleep past my turn. Well, it's your turn now, Ken Murray. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I see the alarm clock woke up the audience, too. <laughs> Look how happy the audience looked. Tallulah, if they only knew what I know. Uh, what is it, Ken? What do you mean? Oh, it's not really very important, I guess. It's just that I overheard one of the executives talking backstage before the show. You see that a group of 50 tickets to the big show this week is missing, and it seems they fell in the hands of a syndicate of burglars, and these burglars mail out the tickets to 50 homes, and while the people come to the theater to see the big show, they ransack the homes of all the people. <laughs> Wait a minute, where's everybody going? Wait a minute. Ken, that's not true, my darling. Those people have been looking forward to seeing this show. They get their tickets free, and they come here to have a good time. And we try to give them a good time. They see a show that's good for nothing. Oh, I, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's that bad. Uh, but when, uh, when you say it's free, Tallulah, though, you must be kidding. Well, the tickets are free. Oh, sure, the tickets are free. But what happens when a man and wife get two tickets for this show? For instance, right away they need a babysitter. This usually doesn't run into money because the ordinary show is only a half hour, but you have to talk for an hour and a half. <laughs> and that runs into money. So the husband looks around for the cheapest babysitter he can find, her mother. Now, now you have got to pay her transportation from the bedroom to the living room. Now, of course, that doesn't cost much, just a new dress and all the food she can eat. But the tickets are free. Sure, sure, the tickets are free. But before you leave the house, the kid asks you to bring him back something. And you have to promise him that, or he'll, otherwise he'll hold his breath for an hour and a half. <laughs> and you finally promise you'll bring him back a package of gum. Because where are you going to get him a baby brother at that hour of the night? <laughs> the tickets are free. Sure, sure, the tickets are free. Now you, now you get into your car and you drive to the theater, see? Then you start early because they want to find a place to park downtown. But it's just their luck as they're crossing the bridge for the first time in history, the George Washington Bridge opens up to let a ship go through. <laughs> So by the time they get downtown, they find the theater is completely surrounded by fire plugs. So he drives around for a while looking for a place to park and finally finds a wonderful place that nobody thought of. So they park the car and take a cab back from Kew Gardens, <laughs> which just happens to be two blocks from their home. But the tickets are free. Sure, sure, the tickets are free, but the cab driver, realizing their haste, decides to take them through a special shortcut that he knows through the Holland Tunnel. And, and for the first time in history, the Holland Tunnel opens up to let a submarine go through. <laughs> now, just as they're rushing to the theater, he remembers to pro that he promised the kid the gum. So they rush into a drugstore to get him the gum. But who can go into a drugstore just to buy gum? So they buy him a beach ball, an electric toaster, two white shirts with the button-down collars, and a Geiger counter. And that cost them $20. But the tickets are free. Sure, sure, the tickets are free. Now they get to the theater, and the usher won't let them in with the packages. See, so they grab a cab to Penn Station to check the packages. And you won't believe this, Toulouse. I know, I know. For the first time in history, Pennsylvania Station opens up to let a Grand Central train go through. <laughs> But the tickets are free And by the time they get back to the theater Your show is over And they take a cab back to their car in Kew Garden They look at the windshield And what do you think they find? 
I know. There's one ticket that isn't free. That's right. And believe me, it would have been much cheaper to get the kid a baby brother. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ken. I never thought of it that way. But if all these people went through that much trouble to get in here, well, the least I can do is see that they get their money's worth. Oh, that sounds like a cue for me to come in. I didn't mean you, Morton Downey. Oh. <laughs> Morton, darling, did you hear what Ken said about the trouble and expenses the audience went through to get in here? Yeah, sure. Well, don't you think it's up to me to give them something special so they get their money's worth? Absolutely, so. So, I'm gonna sing. Wait a minute, where's everybody going? I'll get them back to Lula, I'll get them back. Leave it to me. Now, folks, that isn't nice. You've been entertained up until now, so will it hurt you to take a minute out to listen to her sing? Okay, Tallulah, start your song. I'll keep order. Thank you, darling. You go to my head And you linger like a haunting refrain Oh, that lady in the third row. No, 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 no cheating. Hands away from the ears now. That's it, lady. Take it like a man. <laughs> and I find you spinning round in my brain Like the bubbles from a glass of champagne. That boy in the balcony. <laughs> no, no, no. The bow and arrow. Down, boy. Down. Down. Oh, to my head Like a sip of sparkling burgundy brew. Keep moving, Tallulah. Don't make yourself a target. <laughs> I find a very mention of you like a kicker and a julep or two. Wait a minute, Ken. Where are you going? I'm going out for a shave. If I'm real lucky, I may cut my throat. <laughs> the thrill of the thought that you might give a thought to my plea cast a spell over me. Phone call for Tallulah Bankhead. Phone call. Oh, thank you, Ken. Excuse me, Morton. Oh, that's all right, Tallulah. I'll take over for you till you come back. Now, get going. You better sing something, Morton. No, Ken. She'll be right back. You want to bet? Oh, I get it. Well, until she comes back here, maybe I could borrow Meredith Wilson in the orchestra and the chorus, and I'd like to try a few of the tunes that I've always, well, kind of loved to sing. Meredith? <laughs> So much closer than I dare to I want to scold you Cause I care more than I care to And when you touch me And there's fire in every finger I get ideas I get ideas And after we have kissed goodnight And still you linger I kind of think you get ideas too your eyes are always saying the things you're never saying. I only hope they're saying that you could love me too. For that's the whole idea. It's true. 
the lovely idea that I fallen in love. I Darling, I'm sorry I kept you waiting so long, Morton. I couldn't get out of the phone booth. If I'd ever put a lock on the outside of a phone booth, I'll never know. <laughs> well, darling, where was I? Oh, yes, I know. 
Well, she's back to be again. Go to my head with a smile that makes my temperature rise. Like a summer with a thousand Julys. You intoxicate my soul with your eyes. Though I'm certain that this heart of mine hasn't a ghost of a chance. In this crazy romance Go to my head You go to my head Hello, hello Hey, hello, cut it off is that the Anison theme song? <laughs> little, I'm afraid I'll have to go now. Go? Well, darling, you can't go before you sing us a medley of your famous songs. Oh, Tallulah, I could never follow your singing. Oh, isn't he sweet? <laughs> well, I guess you're probably right. Some other time, Morton. Any time at all, Tallulah. <laughs> so long now. <laughs> so long, darling. I don't blame him. After all, he is a soprano. <laughs> oh, uh, Miss Bankhead. Yes, Meredith Wilson. Uh, Miss Bankhead, I wonder if you would do me a favor. Would you introduce me to Ann Sheridan? Why, Meredith. Well, I think this is the first time you've ever asked me to introduce you to an actress on the show. Well, this is something personal. Well! George! Uh, Meredith, is there uh, something you want to tell me? Uh, well, sir, Miss Bankhead. <laughs> I... I think I'd rather talk to her personally. You see, uh, a few years ago, I sent Miss Sheridan a fan letter. Yes. Well, I'm married now, and I'd like to get it back. <laughs> oh. oh, youthful indiscretion, Meredith? Yes. I was only 34 at the time. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know how kids are. You know, how are they? <laughs> well, I did it in a fit of passion. I wrote her this letter. Well, what was in the letter, do you remember? Oh, yes. It's indelibly inscribed in my memory. I know, I know. You wrote it with indelible pencil. That's right. I remember I had a purple tongue for months. <laughs> Meredith, will you get to the point of this revolting, nauseating little saga? What did you say in the letter? Well, I started off by saying, Dear Miss Sheridan. And at the time, I meant it. Men are such beasts. Dear Miss Sheridan, then what? Well, then I said, I've seen you in all your pictures and I would appreciate a photograph of you. Enclosed, please find 25 cents. <laughs> you see, Miss Bankhead? But what's the matter with that letter? Well, sending money to a woman, Miss Bankhead? Oh, I see. And then I lost my head completely and I signed it, affectionately yours, guess who? Signed, Meredith Wilson, RFD 41, Mason City, Iowa. Meredith, I'm afraid there's little darling I can do for you. You're in this thing too far. Right up to your ankles. <laughs> you'll have to work it out with Miss Sheridan. Annie, darling, will you come here, please? Have you met Meredith Wilson, Annie? No, I don't believe I have. How do you do? Well, you don't have to hide it, Annie. I told Miss Bankhead everything. Told her what? 
Isn't she a cool one, Miss Banker? <laughs> Wait a minute, I don't know what's going on here. And and humor the Urk Jane. What? Humor what? the Urk Jane. The who? The Urk Jane, me. <laughs> wrote you a fan letter, darling, a fan letter he wrote you a few years ago. That was before he met his wife. And he wants it back now. He wants a fan letter back that he sent me years ago? No. I'll never return that letter. It's mine. Mine, you hear? The only link I have with a beautiful past. And now that I see you before me, Meredith, <laughs> I've found the missing link. <laughs> return that letter? Ah, I shall never return that letter. It's mine to treasure and to hold and to keep and to hold and to have and to hold and to have. Nora, please ride the game. <laughs> well, gee, Miss Sheridan, I didn't know you felt that way about it. You can keep the letter. Oh, thank you, Meredith. But there's just one thing. Uh, Miss Sheridan, could you give me back the quarter? <laughs> Meredith, now that your marriage has been saved, how about celebrating with a selection by the orchestra, huh? How about a song appropriate to the occasion? Ladies and gentlemen, Meredith Wilson, the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus, now play the lovely ballad from The King and I, Hello, Young Lovers. <laughs> Don't cry. 
Divine Meredith, as usual. And now, while they're getting ready to hoist our darling Sophie Tucker into place at the microphone, <laughs> I, I want to take just a moment to ring my silver anniversary chimes. Three chimes of silver. This is NBC, N the National B Broadcasting. This is The Big Show, Act Three. This portion brought to you by Anacin for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. By Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And Chiclets, the candy-coated gum with a flavor that won't chew out. And by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. Tallulah Bankhead will be with you in a moment. But first, a word about Anacin. Here's something you should know if you ever suffer from the sudden pain of headaches, neuritis, or neuralgia. It's the way to ease the pain, often within a few minutes, a way that is incredibly fast and effective. It's Anison. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people were first introduced to Anison through their own physicians or dentists. But today, these tablets are in such widespread use that all drug counters have them and anyone may enjoy their benefits. Next time you suffer from the pains of a headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, by all means, try Anison. You'll like the convenience of Anison tablets, and you'll be delighted with Anison's incredibly fast action. A-N-A-C-I-N, Anison. Ask for Anison by name today at your druggist's. Here again is Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> now, darlings, we're about to present a great star who has gone as far as anyone can go in show business. Not only has she gone far, but she has gone wide. <laughs> I refer, of course, to the glamorous, the indestructible Sophie Tucker. Hello, Sophie. Hello, kids. <laughs> oh, darling, that's the sweetest thing anybody ever said to me on the show. Why? What do they say about you on the show, dear? Well, to listen to them talk, I was with George Washington when he crossed the Delaware. <laughs> well, send them to me, kid. I can tell them you weren't there. <laughs> oh, now, Soph, you don't go back that far. You weren't there. Are you kidding? Why do you think Washington was standing up in the boat? <laughs> he gave a seat to a lady. Oh, now, Silver, you're exaggerating. That was back in 1775. 
That would make you about, oh, about, about uh, 50 years old. Easy, 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 especially the way you figure it, Tallulah. Uh, but, Sophie, doesn't it embarrass you to go around telling people you're 50 years old? I used to when I was a kid of 50. <laughs> now that I'm a grown woman, I don't care. Look, Tallulah, when somebody asks me how old I am, I say 125. If they take it as a joke, all right. If they don't, I tell them it's my weight. <laughs> Why don't you try that, Tallulah? Why don't I try that, sure. old darling? Who's going to believe I weigh 35 pounds? <laughs> listen, kid, listen. <laughs> oh, Soap, I must have you on this show every month. Okay, baby, okay. Uh, could you make it every week? <laughs> uh, Sophie, I'm amazed every time I see you. You always look so radiant. Your hair is always so elegant and your clothes are so dramatic. The furs, the jewelry. You see this fur wrap? Uh-huh. A man sent it to me. Oh? What'd you have to do for it, darling? Send him the money. <laughs> I feel great. I feel great. I have my work. I can make a buck. So what if the guys in the convertibles don't whistle at me anymore? I can still depend on the boys in the trucks. <laughs> Oh, I envy you, Sophie. You envy me? Well, that's a laugh. Look at this big, quiet theater you've got to work in. You've never gotten up on a nightclub floor at two o'clock in the morning with everybody feeling pretty high? Oh, haven't I, darling? <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't paid for it. I paid for it the next morning. <laughs> But this isn't like the places I work, Tallulah. Here a man can bring his own wife and won't start any talk. Tallulah, you have no idea how lucky you are to play in the same theater every week. I have to play in every town in America. Well, Sophie, I played one night stand. You play one show a week. I play two shows a night and an extra show on Saturday. But for years in the theater, Sophie, I played a performance every night in a matinee Wednesday and Saturday. Well, for a gal in her 60s, I really get around. <laughs> well, for a gal in her... Okay, Sophie, you win. <laughs> uh, Sophie, this is what we've all been waiting for, truly. A musical panorama of your illustrious years in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, you often hear Master of Ceremonies introduce a star as the one and only... But here is the original one and only, the last of the Red Hot Mamas, Miss Sophie Tucker, with Ted Shapiro at the piano, Meredith, if you please. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to make a public statement. I want to deny that I was around when Mr. Roebuck met Mr. Sears. But I won't deny that soon, very, very soon, I will be in our wonderful show business 50 years. And I can't wait for the anniversary date, because when that great day rolls around, I'm going to celebrate. While traveling through the land, my friends, both old and new, Say, Sophie, when you celebrate, we want to celebrate with you. Well, that's okay with me. And what a wing-ding day it'll be. Everybody's coming to my golden jubilee. 
Everybody's coming to the Tucker Jamboree. They'll be coming in from everywhere, by land, by sea, by air. And my old boy friends will all be there, each one rocking in his rocking chair. And the traveling men I knew back when will all turn out in force. And a few ex-husbands will be there, of course. And all the red-hot mamas in the land will pack their pajamas and be on hand. Because everybody's coming to my golden jubilee. And this is my party. Everybody can come. I don't care who you are or where you're from. I'm inviting every creed and every nationality that's known. And I'm going to have a United Nations meeting all of my own. And when we all get together and the party has begun, there'll be no Vashinskys or Maliks to veto our fun. As I can see the crowds coming now, everybody ready for the big powwow. The Leafies, the Joneses, coming all the way on the Atchison, Topeka, the Santa Fe. Here come my pal, Bob O'Donnell, Glenn McCarthy, right from the heart of Texas. I don't know why, but in days gone by, I taught them all what sex is. Ay-yay, they're coming from south of the border. Senior Sanchez, Senior Blumenthal, Senior Dwyer from Mexico West. Gee, it's going to be a lot of fun to see those old friends of mine Folks the world over that I've entertained in this long career of mine. And soldiers and sailors, waves, wax and marines. And you older folks who heard me sing as a young gal in my teens. God bless you. It's going to be a grand reunion with that old gang of mine. Here come the boys from Broadway. Great guys from a great old town. Walter Winston, Jack Layton, Leo Lindy, Jack Dempsey, Irving Berlin, that whole Broadway crowd. Some of them are missing. William Morris, Jimmy Walker, Damon Runyon, Ben Bernie, Al Jolson, Fanny Bryce. They've gone to answer their call up there or they would be at my anniversary my happiness to share but let me tell you more about my golden jubilee let me tell you some of the folks who are going to celebrate with me and for some intangible reason Harry Richmond will be there singing give me the rose the wife riding highway. Show me the road, the unbeaten byway, and I'll travel along 
singing a vagabond song. And Eddie Cantor, Eddie Cantor still the rage. Like good old wine, he improves with age and he'll sing. If you knew Susie, like I know Susie, oh, what a girl. And Ted Lewis with his clarinet asking us how happy can we get for when my baby smiles at me I sigh I cry it's just a bit of heaven when my baby smiles at me yes sir is everybody happy now we're bound to see the done one from Hollywood, USA, Jimmy Durante and Poison, who will say, Umbriad, cha-cha-cha. Everybody wants to get near him. And when the loyal friends I love all drink a toast to me, then we'll get together to sing my favorite song at my golden jubilee. Some of these days you'll miss me, honey. Some of these days you'll be so lonely. You'll miss my hugging. You're gonna miss my kissing. You're gonna miss me, honey, when I am far away. Said I feel so lonely for you only. Cause you know, honey, you've had your way When you leave me, you know it's gonna grieve me Gonna miss your big fat mama, your mama Some of these days Bravo, Sylvie Thanks, thanks, our beloved Sophie Tucker for her memorable appearance on The Big Show. And now, darlings, here's something of interest to you. For breathless moments, for your breathless moments. Chew Dentees, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Dentine tastes so good. Dentine freshens your breath. Dentine helps keep your teeth sparkling clean and white. Dentine, the gum with... <gasps> Breathtaking flavor. Before you go out and always after eating, drinking, smoking, refresh your breath with dentine. You'll love dentine chewing gum, for dentine has a wonderful tingling, nippy flavor that lingers on and on. It's delicious. And remember, dentine helps keep your teeth white, too. Keep dentine handy. You'll enjoy refreshing your breath when you chew dentine. So for breathless moments... For your breathless moments. Chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Now, darlings, as an extra added attraction, a young man who made such a hit on our show last year returns with some pungent observations on the American scene. A fella with a little voice and a big talent, Jackie Miles.
Thank you very much. At about this time of the year, um, lots of people are about getting ready to go to a place called Miami Beach, Florida. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you, ladies and gentlemen listening or here in the audience, have ever spent the winter season in Miami Beach. And if you haven't, thank God. <laughs> Do you know that Miami Beach has got the colossal nerve, the unmitigated goal, to charge people, that's during the winter season, $50 a day for a hotel room? That's $50 a day just for the hotel room. Let's discuss that intelligently. <laughs> Who could sleep so good? <laughs> $50 a day just for the room, paying that kind of money, I don't want to miss anything. I stay in the room all day long. <laughs> Maybe I'll wear something out, get even. $50 a day. I used to be a neat fella, cigarettes and ashes. I always put into an ashtray. Paying $50 a day for room, I drop the cigarette on the rug and I watch the fire. <laughs> I even fan it. Maybe it'll spread to the other room. $50 a day. And the kind of weather we had, I went down there for the winter and I got it. <laughs> Nobody wants to miss anything paying 50 a day. I saw one woman walk on the beach with mink shorts. <laughs> Another fellow, the coldest day we had, I'll never forget this. If I live to be a million, and I know I look like I got three days to go. <laughs> Icebergs were sailing by on the Gulf Stream. Freezing cold. This one guy was laying on a beach in his shorts, taking a sunbath. Freezing, he was laughing. So I yelled to him, I said, do you expect to get tan in this weather? He said, purple, I'm getting. <laughs> For $50 a day, he was gonna get a color. He didn't care what color, but a color. <laughs> and I was doing a bit in my room. I was like in jail. I was there till I ran into this friend of mine. Well, I didn't really run into him. I was looking out the window and he was walking by. He's a very tall fella. So when I noticed him, I broke the window and I yelled to him. <laughs> Paying $50 a day, you don't open windows, you're breaking. You know. <laughs> and I said, Frederick, he said, Jack, come on down. I said, you're out of your mind, I'm paying 50 a day, come on up. <laughs> he said, what do we do up there? I said, lots of things. I got knives, we can carve the furniture, <laughs> rip open the mattresses, little things. He said, well, why? And I told him, and he said, Jack, he said, that's positively ridiculous. You're not paying for the room. He said, you're paying for the facilities, the solarium, the beach. Well, you see, a fellow like Frederick, you listen to, because Frederick went to college. <laughs> he studied to be a doctor, but he didn't marry a rich girl, couldn't open up an office. So in Miami, he was booking horses. <laughs> but he was a very intellectual bookmaker. He used to write out the bets in Latin. Cops couldn't do a thing with him. Every bet looked like a prescription. <laughs> so I listened to him. The next day, I went up to the solarium. I lay down on a slab. A slob came up to me. <laughs> Beat me up for about 10 minutes. Gave me a slip. The sign that cost $25. That's besides the 50 a day. The second day, I was afraid to go up there. He hurts. Second day I went down to the beach, I saw a fellow walking around. I knew he was working there because he wasn't playing cards. <laughs> so I said, could I have a beach chair? He said, yes, he gave me another slip to sign $18. Third day I was afraid to sit down any place. <laughs> and you have to be careful walking too. You never know when you're gonna step into where it costs. <laughs> like once by accident, that's the truth, I slipped and I fell into the swimming pool. I can't swim. So I started to drown. You know, a fellow jumped after me underwater with another slip, $9. And if you don't sign, you don't come up. <laughs> Maybe 
Well, I don't mean to really knock it. Miami is beautiful. The weather is gorgeous. And, and well, I love to play golf, and so it's wonderful. I don't know if you play golf. I heard, saw a funny thing happen at the golf course down there. This fellow walked out, and you could tell by looking at him, he was playing golf for the first time. And the manager, of the course, trying to be very polite, said, you're playing golf for the first time, sir. He said, may I suggest an instructor? This guy looked back, and he said, I don't need no instructors. I'm the kind of fellow who worked myself up from the bottom to the top. Nobody ever told me what to do, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. I don't need no instructors. I brought my own clubs, 52 clubs. <laughs> said, if you want to do anything for me, just give me a caddy, huh? That's all. And I said, yes, sir, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to intrude. And he got this fellow a caddy, a nice boy, 13 years old, sandy-haired kid, freckled face, blue eyes, turned-up nose. It's got nothing to do with the joke. I like the description. <laughs> and this poor kid picked up a bag with 52 clubs. The fellow put a ball down on the caddy, very politely said to him, your driver, sir. The fellow said, kid... Nobody tells me what to do. I worked myself up from the bottom to the top. Nobody told me what to do. Never told me what to do. Give me my putter. Well, the caddy gave him the putter. This fellow took the putter with a grip like you never saw before. Held it like this. Swung at the ball. Believe it or not, he hit it perfectly. It sailed 397 yards and landed two inches away from the cup. They walked up to the green and the caddy in amazement said, what a wonderful shot, sir. Gee, that's amazing. You can use your putter again if you like. Well, I said, kid, nobody tells me what to do. I worked myself up from the bottom to the top. Nobody told me what. Never now, give me my driver. <laughs> well, the poor caddy gave him the driver. This fellow weighed over 200 pounds, took the driver. He wound up with it. Swung at the ball with everything he had on him. He missed the ball completely, but the wind forced the ball into the cup. <laughs> well, by this time, the caddy was afraid to say or do anything. He stood there silent and motionless for about 10 minutes when finally the gentleman looked at me and said, my boy, I didn't mean to holler at you. And I don't mind admitting sometimes I'll take advice. He said, uh, Tell me, kid, what club do I use to get that ball out of the hole? <laughs> Thank you, Jackie Miles. That was hilarious. Now, a very old friend of ours, Bing Crosby, who wants to sound off for Chesterfield. <laughs> From Maine to California, smokers are changing every day to the cigarettes with something new. No other brand can offer you mildness plus. No aftertaste. Mildness plus. No aftertaste. No unpleasant aftertaste in Chesterfield. That's right. Science discovered what you can prove. You better get into the smoking room. Chesterfield, now that's the place with no unpleasant aftertaste. Chesterfield. 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 Milder, 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 milder. Chesterfield. That's right. Here's what we want you to do. Right now. Here's, here's what we want you to do. Right now. Sound off. For Chesterfield. Sound off. For Chesterfield. Try a pack of Chesterfields. Do it. Today. Ladies and gentlemen, today, November the 11th, is Armistice Day. Armistice Day is a solemn rather than a festive holiday. It is a day when the mind and the heart pay a full measure of tribute to the men who have fought through two world wars in their struggle for honor, peace, and the dignity of man. It was important that they fought and died because the things they fought and died for were more precious to them than life itself. What are these precious things? The soldier himself knows best. Private First Class John J. McCormick knew 
and the world came to know through a letter written from a Korean foxhole to his two small daughters in Pennsylvania. The letter arrived three days after the War Department reported that Private First Class McCormick had been killed in action. This is what he wrote. Dear Joni and Rosemarie, this is Daddy. I want you to listen and pay attention while Mommy reads this to you. Just try and make believe I was there talking to you. Joni, I don't think you'll remember me because you were a little baby when I had to go away. But I used to sit and hold you a lot. And when you were a bad little girl, I used to make you sit in a chair until you were good. But I always loved you a lot. And I was very proud of you. Rosemarie, you should remember me because I used to take you out with me a lot. And I used to buy you a lot of candy and sodas. And I used to feel so good when people used to say you had eyes like mine. Remember the little puppy I bought you? Your mama used to tie a little pink ribbon around its neck and you used to carry it in your arms. You looked awfully cute. I want you both to know that I'd be with you if I could. But there are a lot of bad men in the world. And if they were allowed to do what they wanted to, little girls like you wouldn't be allowed to go to church on Sunday or be able to go to the school you wanted to. So I have to help fight these men and keep them from coming where you and Mommy live. It might take a long while, and maybe Daddy will have to go and help God up in heaven. And if I do, I always want you both to be good for Mommy, because she is the best Mommy in the whole wide world. She has always taken care of you while I've been away. You see, kids, I happen to be caught in two wars inside 10 years. And the reason I am where I am today because I'm fighting for what I think is right. That's one thing I always want both of you to remember. If your conscience tells you something is right, always stand up for it. You might be ridiculed for doing so, but in the long run, you'll always find out that people respect you more for doing so. When you grow up to be young ladies, don't ever forget all that Mommy has done for you. She's often gone without clothes for herself so that both of you could have nice things. I want you to do as she says. Go to church on Sundays, and you can always pray for Daddy. So remember, kids, when you grow up, save this letter in case I'm not there to talk to you. And try to remember all I'm saying was for your good and because I love you and Mommy so much. I'll be in a hole fighting in a few days in a place called Korea. So I'm sending you all the love that's in my heart on this sheet of paper. I carry your picture and mommy's next to my heart. And if I have to go help God, you'll know that the last thought I had on this earth was for the two of you and mommy. All my love and kisses. Be good. And God bless you. Daddy.
to the memory of Private First Class John J. McCormick, and to all our fighting men everywhere, we at home pledge our love, devotion, and gratitude. America! 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 Well, darling, that's our show for tonight. Next week, we'll be back with Fred Allen, Shirley Booth, Joel Brenner, Molly Goldberg, Portland Hoffer, Jack Pearl, Maxine Sullivan, and others. And, of course, our very own Meredith Wilson and the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus. Until then, may the good Lord bless and keep you, whether near or far away. And... May you find that long-awaited golden day today, Sophie. May your troubles all be small ones and your fortune ten times ten, Ken. May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again, Jackie. May you walk with sunlight shining And a bluebird in every tree, June May there be a silver lining Back of every cloud you see Medrith? Fill your dreams with sweet tomorrows Never mind what might have been Jerry? May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again. Mark, may you long recall each rainbow, then you'll soon forget the rain. May the warm and tender memories be the ones that will remain. May the good Lord bless and keep you until we meet again. This portion of the big show has been brought to you by Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. By Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And Chiclets, the candy-coated gum with a flavor that won't chew out. By Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. The first half hour of the big show each week is presented by the makers of Reynolds Aluminum, the Reynolds Metals Company. Anne Sheridan will soon be seen in Steeltown, a Universal International production. 
The Big Show is produced and directed by D. Engelbach and written by Goodman Ace, Selma Diamond, George Foster, Mort Green, and Joel Murcott. The chorus is directed by Ray Charles, special musical arrangements by Sidney Fine. Special material for Miss Tucker written by Mac Marauder. This is Ed Hurley saying good night. Here, Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on NBC.